My name's Chris, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you guys again. And uh, I just want to, I want to pause and celebrate that God has filled our church with life and children. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Today, 23-some families, you can clap for that. 23-some families are dedicating their children to the Lord, and they're making a commitment to raise their children in the context of the local church. And just as a pastor, it makes me excited when I see parents praying over their kids and saying, we want this child to love Jesus and serve Jesus and love the local church and be a part of the community of God. So fun uh, to see this morning. love what God's doing in our church. Now, if you're just joining us or jumping in this morning... We are in week three of our Advent series, and so today we're going to continue in that. And Advent is just simply a time we as a church uh, take an opportunity to look back and remember when Jesus has first come. Advent means coming or arrival, and so this is a time we as a church, we look back when Jesus came some 2,000 years ago and he advented from heaven to earth. Additionally, it's a time that we look forward when Jesus has promised to come back in Advent once again. And, uh, and during this season, there's a four weeks that we celebrate the four benefits or uh, primary themes of Advent, which are love, peace, joy, and hope. And today, we're going to be honing in and talking about uh, love. And um, we're going to be in Zephaniah chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, please open them up there. We're going to be preaching through verses 14 through 17. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. Zephaniah is in the Old Testament. And this morning, I specifically want to deal with uh, these four verses in Zephaniah 3 that are explicit prophecies of Jesus's first advent given uh, some 600 years before he came as baby Jesus. Additionally, this book is only three uh, chapters long. And uh, the first two chapters help diagnose the spiritual condition of God's people. Let me just tell you, it was not a good time among God's people. The Lord had asked them not to worship false gods or any other gods before him. And they had made idols and they were worshiping false gods and they were worshiping gods from other nations. They were living in disobedience to the Lord's command. Additionally, the Lord called them to live in a humble relationship with God, to pursue him. And they, they weren't doing that. They were living self-sufficient lives and rejecting the God that had created them and love them. And so in the midst of all of these warnings in chapters 1 and 2 that diagnose the spiritual problems among God's people, he comes in chapter 3 with this amazing promise. This shining light, this beautiful star. He says, "I love you enough that I'm not giving up on you. Let me promise you that I will send a savior for you." It's an amazing, amazing, amazing passage, and uh, I'm excited to preach it. And so today we got to talk about the love of God because, um, not because it's Christmas time and it's what we do at Christmas, you know, not because the kids are in the room and so we need to dial it back a little bit and keep it safe and keep it nice and keep it neat. No, we have to talk about the love of God this morning, church, because Christmas is an epic love story. Come on. Is it not an amazing love story between an unlovable people and a loving God that pursues them? The Christmas story reminds us of how Jesus loved us enough to come from heaven to earth. It's incredible, incredible love story. You know, in 1 John chapter 4, they describe God with one word. God is love. The one characteristic that describes the essence of God is what? Love. He says this is who God is. He's a loving God. And what's amazing about Christmas is that Christmas demonstrates that God is not just a God that claims to be loving 
but that God is a God who demonstrates his love by actually giving in tangible, real, sacrificial ways. It's amazing. And you know, Jesus came and he said, we as a people, the thing that should define us is our love for one another. He said, they will know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. He doesn't say just by the way you memorize scripture or the way you participate in groups or the way that you serve other, by the way that you love other people. Church, I want our community to understand the love of God this morning and to understand that the thing that should mark us as a people and a community and as a church is that we'd be a loving people. And here's why this matters. One, because there's nothing that has changed my life more than the love of Jesus Christ that's come towards me, a sinner. Additionally, I just realized anytime I preach about the love of God, there are people in this room who you've heard the sermons and you know the verses and you heard the stories and you've been a part of the Christmas things and it's all nice. And at some point in your life, the idea that Jesus loved you, it was incredibly good news. But at some point, it's moved from good news to old news and now it's no longer stirring your affections for God at a heart level. It's just kind of sitting on top. And this morning, man... Can I just tell you, my prayer is not to give a sermon that's nice or short. I mean, maybe a little bit short. But really, my prayer is that you would have an encounter with the love of God this morning. That as we herald these verses in Zephaniah, that the whole Jesus loves me, I know that posture in our hearts would be softened and would be made real to us in maybe a way that it hasn't been real to us in a really long time. So let's jump in. I got three points for us from Zephaniah. Three points that demonstrate God's love for us. The first one is this. If you're a note taker, you can follow along in our programs. Point one is this. Love draws near. Love draws near. In this text, God is telling his people to look forward to the day when God will move towards them in an unexpected way. And at Christmas, we see God drawing near. We see God pursuing. We see God pressing in. We see God moving towards his people. And isn't it true that when you love somebody... You enjoy being around them. It's an amazing, amazing idea. But when you love somebody, it's this simple. You can Facebook them. You can FaceTime them. You can text them and call them. But isn't there just something about being in the room with them that's just awesome? It's amazing. We see that proximity matters when it comes to receiving God's love and showing God's love. Proximity matters. And the thing that we see at Christmas is that God doesn't distance himself from us but he actually moves towards us. So let me show you this. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Read the first couple uh, words here. It says this. The Lord your God is in your midst. The Old Testament saints would have said, what? Where's God? Where's he located? He's right next to you. He's going to be in your midst. There's going to be a day when the Lord is in your midst. And this, this would have been amazing to them because God has dwelt in a tent next to them. God has led them with a pillar of fire, but he's never been so near to his people, never been so accessible to his people, never been so near to his people than when Jesus Christ came as the son of God. And you know, one of the names that they give Jesus when he comes in the book of Matthew is he says, Jesus is going to be called Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. Jesus is the the fulfillment of this promise. One of the things we need to do is that we need to, we're not going to understand the value of Emmanuel, God with us, until we back up from the story and understand how did we create this distance between a holy God and us? 
Why, why is there a fractured relationship? Why is this a big deal that God would be in our midst and that God would dwell among us? Here's the big deal. We have to understand that God didn't press away from the table or push away from the table, that God wasn't the one that ran from us, but that we were the one who declared war and we ran from him. We were one of the ones that pushed away from the table. The story goes in Adam and Eve. Remember in the garden, it was perfect in our relationship with God. We were walking with God. We had intimacy with God. There was no distance or disconnect in our relationship with God. But then what did Adam and Eve do? They decided they didn't want to obey God, but they rejected God and they did things their own way. And our story is the same story over and over and over again. You and I were created by God. And at some point, one of the things that we have all in common is that we've rejected the God that created us. And we've said, hey, we're going to do it on our own. We're going to do it on our own. Haven't we all felt that, that disconnect in our relationship with God, that distance in our relationship with God? And Jesus would have been totally right and totally just to say, listen, humanity, if you want to reject me, you can stay down there and I'll stay up here and you just do your thing and I'll do my thing. That's not what we see at Christmas. What we see at Christmas is Jesus saying, I'm going to press in and I'm going to cross the boundary. What we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus left heaven to come from earth because he realized that we could never move from earth to heaven without his merit and his grace. It's amazing. What we celebrate at Christmas is the God who created us steps into his own creation and moves towards us in love. What we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus Christ put down his robe of glory and he stepped into time and space and put on a swaddling blanket and laid in a manger. It's an amazing story. We celebrate that God has drawn near and not pushed away. Um, I think that this matters to us because I wonder how many of us picture God as a God who looks into our lives and he sees that there's a mess in our lives and he kind of just says, hey, you've got some messy relationships. Your marriage isn't perfect. You've got some dysfunction with your kids. Your finances aren't right. You're still doing that thing I told you not to do. You know what? Here's the deal. Why don't, we, why don't you stay on this side of the room and I'll stay on this side of the room? And you know what? When you really get your life together, when you double down on your efforts and your prayer life starts to improve and you finally start to read the Bible like you know you should and you start to actually care about your neighbors and you kind of get that relational drama figured out with your wife, you know what? Then we can start to inch our way towards a relationship. Is that the story we see at Christmas? God inching his way towards us when we become lovable? It's not the story of Christmas. The story at Christmas is that God saw us at our absolute worst, and yet his love for us motivated him to move towards us. He doesn't say, hey, inch your way towards me. He moves towards us. You guys know that Christmas reminds us of the good news of Jesus Christ, that the best thing about, one of the best things about Christianity is that, that Christianity isn't about how you have pursued God, but how God has decided to pursue you. It's amazing. God has decided to move towards us and not away from us. Church, I want to I say this. At Christmas time, I want us to be a people who recognize the one-way direction of God's love, that it's moving towards us at Christmas. And this isn't the Christmas story. This is our story, that God has come to rescue me and you personally. Isn't it true that we didn't first love God, but that he loved us, that we didn't pursue him, but that he's pursued us? That's not just the Christmas story. That's our story. We know Christ because he came and ransomed our hearts. It's amazing. Miracle that we have to celebrate at Christmas. And here's what I want to say to you, church. I don't know at what point in your life you might have pushed away from the table. You might have disobeyed. You might have stepped out of bounds. And you might have tried to 
you might have tried to reject God. I don't know when that moment happened. I don't know what that looks like. I know in moments in my life that I've done that actively and intentionally, moved away from my creator and my God. But here's what Christmas tells me. I know what God did to pursue you. He moved from a cradle to a cross. He moved from heaven to earth. He moved into the neighborhood to show you his love. It's awesome. The other thing I want to talk about today in in regards to moving towards people, if God has really truly moved towards us like that in Christmas, one of the things I want to talk about is shouldn't we love other people like that? We're not just called to be a people who receive that and experience that, but actually express that kind of love towards other people. If God crushed the distance between us, if he didn't stiff arm us, but he actually pressed in towards us, then shouldn't we be the kind of people that love people in the same way, that we actually move towards them in a tangible way? One of the things that high school taught me And one of the things that every magazine rack will teach you is that there's love in this world if you're lovable. If you're pretty, if you're popular, if you have position, if you're a somebody, if you're talented, if you're awesome, you're going to get invited to the cool kids club. You're going to get invited to the party. Somebody's going to move towards you because you're lovable. But that's not the love of God. Jesus Christ moved towards us the people who were spiritually broken and poor, the outsiders, not the insiders, not the somebodies, but the The have-nots. That's the story we see at Christmas. And even in Jesus' life, who does he move towards? The kings, the powerful, the princes, the who's who? No. He moves towards the poor, the outcast, the broken, the sinful, the shameful, the prostitute, the nobody. Jesus couldn't keep himself from moving towards the unlovable people. He did it by moving from heaven to earth, and he did it when he was here on earth, and he models it for us. So church, here's the thing. I want us to be the kind of people who model that same kind of love to undeserving people around us. Don't we all have those unlovable people in our life? Am I the only one? People like to talk about politics a little too much. People that um, maybe struggle with some basic hygiene. I'm just going to say it, okay? There's people in our lives that everybody else, you guys know, they're trying to be polite and they're trying to be nice to. They wave and they smile, but what do they do? They always keep their distance from those kind of people. I'm wondering, what if we were the kind of people, church, that didn't keep our distance from unlovable people, but we actually intentionally moved towards unlovable people so that we could model and show the same kind of grace that we received in Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be powerful to the watching world? To not just try to surround ourselves by the most lovable people, but to move towards intentionally some of the unlovable people in our midst. That would be powerful. That would be powerful. Church, I want us to be the kind of church that loves in that way. May we draw near not just to the God who moved towards us, but would we move towards those uh, who need to receive that. Okay, number two, uh, the second thing I want to talk about is the love that love gives. Love gives. At Christmas, we give gifts to each other, and some, give, some of us, we just need to acknowledge, are better gift givers than others. Can we just acknowledge that? Some of you guys are amazing. You're thoughtful, and you give great gifts. Some of you guys are just bad gift givers. We got to work on the gift-giving gift, okay? So um, I love my mom. She was a single mom. She raised me, and she did a great job. Mom, you're in the audience, and I love you, but I'm about to talk about you. Okay, so... So here's the thing. My mom struggles with being a good gift giver. Now, there was a time when she gave me a top five worst gift ever, okay? And you guys are like, oh my gosh, he's so mean, but you'll understand in one minute, okay? So I'm a sophomore in high school. There's a lot of things you can give a teenage boy who's a sophomore in high school. Clothes, jeans, electronics, gift cards, a lot of things. My mom decided to give to me for Christmas a Chia Pet. Chia pet, okay? 
Now, some of you guys know, you're laughing, you understand. A chia pet is literally a plant you water and it grows into some kind of shape of a pet, like a cat or a unicorn or some random thing. And you're just like, it's a plant shaped as a pet. That's what a chia pet is. Now, imagine my horror as a sophomore boy who went to school and you know the questions. What'd you get for Christmas? And they got their Christmas sweater on. They got their gear on. And they're ready to tell you what their mom gave them. And I got, to, I got to school and they said, what did your mom give you for Christmas? A chia pet. Isn't that a plant? Dude, it's the sickest plant you've ever seen. Thing about to be like a 25-foot wild cat in my house. I'm telling you right now. You're going to want this chia pet. You can come over and see it. As a matter of fact, it's crazy. I mean, you're trying to sell a chia pet, okay? That's when you know things are not good in your world, okay? Now, I'm telling you this because if you have high school kids, the answer at Christmas is not chia pet. Don't do it, parents. Don't do it to your kids. Love them. Get a gift card. Run out of Target. Don't buy them a chia pet. That's the worst thing you can do. It's not going to go well, okay? Now, um, I talk about gift giving because there's something about gift giving that actually... Um, it actually models the generosity of God. The gift giving at Christmas is more than just a materialistic exchange. It actually models how God the Father has given us his son. And so we're gift givers by nature because God is a good and gracious gift giver. And so I want to show you guys um, how God gives us his very best gift. And he comes not as a God who takes, but he comes as a God who gives. Let me show you guys this in Zephaniah three seventeen. Says the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Again, this is pointing us to Jesus. That Jesus didn't just come from heaven to earth to be visible and to teach us some things. He came from heaven to earth with an intentionality and a purpose. He came to seek and save the lost. He came not for the healthy, but for the sick. He came to pay for our sins on the cross so that we wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God, but that we could experience the presence and amazing love of God. And we see this in the announcement that the angels give in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Here's what it says about him. It says, she, which is Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call uh, his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth? Because he wanted to give his life so that you could have eternal life. Why did Jesus come from heaven to earth? Because he needed to earn a righteousness that we could never earn for ourselves and he could give it to us by faith. Why did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth to take on the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to? Why did Jesus come from heaven to earth so that we could have the hope of eternal life? Why did Jesus come from heaven to earth to be rejected so that we could be accepted and become members of God's family adopted by his incredible grace and love for us? Church, what makes us a people is we are on the receiving end of God's giving we're a people who have received generously because God so loved the world that he gave his son that whomever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was his love for me and you that motivated God the Father to send his son and motivated Jesus to give his life. Now, can we just pause and say, that's not normal and natural, is it? How many of you guys wake up every day and say, you know what, I'm just... I am consumed with the reality of how can I give my life away today? No, you're, that's not what you think about. I'm just, if, if you're lying to yourself, that's not your number one thought, okay? 
one of the things that's happened because of sin is we have exchanged giving to each other to taking from each other. Natural relationships go like this. I will give to you if you reciprocate and give back to me. You are valuable to me, not based on who you are. You are valuable to me based on what you can give me. That's how we've reduced and manipulated relationships on this side of eternity in our sinful condition. But Jesus comes and he models something totally different. Jesus comes and he does not con you. Jesus comes and does not take from you. Jesus comes and he only gives life. He gives his life for your life. Isn't that amazing? I want to ask you, how many of you guys have that friend? You guys are going to know the friend that I'm talking about. But that friend who only calls you every summer when it's 197 degrees outside and says, bring your truck, I'm moving once again. Do you have that friend? Do you have that friend that says, let's go to lunch? And you kind of have this inclination in the back of your head, wow, maybe we're actually going to be friends. We're going to go to lunch together. And you get there, and they show up with a coupon that's buy one, get one free. You buy, they eat for free. (laughs) Have you been there? Do you know that friend who always calls you with an ask but never with an offer? You guys know that friend. And I'm telling you guys, we all know that that's not really a friend. That's a taker. That's not love. A biblical love does not take, it gives. A biblical love does not say serve me, it serves. A biblical love, sacrifice. A biblical love is more concerned with your good than my good, and it's more focused on what will glorify Christ, not will just make me happy. A biblical love always gives. Amen, church? We know it's not real love. Uh, Hey, would you come over? I got some projects to do around the house. Dude, you called me last weekend. Are we going to be friends or am I just a person who serves you? Real love gives. I want to talk about that, how it's not normal, because what we see in the personal work of Jesus Christ is that God doesn't say, hey, I'm here to take. He says, I'm here to give. And we as a people are on the receiving end of that. And I just want to say, church, you can receive the love of God by faith. I want to ask you this Christmas right now, are we as a people, have we received the love of Jesus Christ? It's a gift. We have to receive it though. Have we humbled ourselves enough to say that I actually need the one who is mighty to save? And if you have received it, I want to ask you, are you resting in it? Or are we still trying to earn it by our works and our duty? Church, God loves you. Jesus Christ left heaven to earth because he loves you. Jesus came to die for you because he loves you. Jesus has forgiven you because he loves you. There's all these voices in your life that's going to tell you, God doesn't love me, he can't love me, I'm not lovable, and yet the gospel of Jesus Christ says you're loved even though you're unlovable. Now, when you receive that kind of message from heaven to your heart, can we just acknowledge the fact that you can't stay the same? (laughs) This message is received freely, but it will cost you everything. It changes and transforms you from the inside out. Instead of being stingy and a taker, you become a life giver, you become generous. I've just seen this play out. And church, can I just tell you, I celebrate the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your hearts that it releases you to be, from just being a taker and it frees you up and empowers you to be a giver because what happens when you experience Jesus Christ is you take on his nature as a generous gift giver. It's amazing. And I want to celebrate that in our church. Listen, we are not even four years old, church. Not even four years old. We are three years and nine months old as a church. And can I just brag on you right now? Jesus has made you a generous people. 
We have given hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars away to church planning. You know what we could have done with that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars? Buy a parking lot. (laughs) We could have done some things around here that would have made our experience a little bit better. But instead, you generously said, we're not going to take and consume and consume. We're going to give so that other communities can experience the love of Jesus Christ and hear the message that God died for them so that they could live and have eternal life with, with Jesus. That's incredible. That's amazing. You guys are a generous, generous, generous church. It's incredible to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ has actually changed you. You know, I could tell stories. Just this year, you guys have given so much money that one of the amazing things that we've got to do is that there's people in our community that have real needs. And we don't just pray for them. Can I tell you that we set money aside? Because some people in this very room, you've lost your jobs this year. And you've humbled yourself and said, church, I don't know what to do. And we've paid your mortgage, not because we have to, but because we love you. And because the church is for you. And because the church is the way that you can experience the generosity of Jesus Christ through his people. It's amazing. Do you know there's single parents in this very church that have received cars from our church because they're in community, they love God, they work hard, and yet we don't want them walking around when it's negative 7,000 out? It's incredible. Guys, you aren't in trouble. You can clap for that. Can you guys just clap right now? That's incredible. I just want to celebrate it because it's not about dollars that are moving from your account into the church. It's about hearts that have been changed by the generous nature of God's love. May we always be a radically generous people because Jesus has been radically generous to us. Amen? Amen. Last thing I want to talk about, point three, is love sings. Love sings. Okay, so what's amazing about this passage is God calls his people to sing. God promises that he's going to send a mighty one that will save. God promises he's going to take away their judgment. God promises that he's going to send a savior. In response to those promises, we as a people of God are supposed to respond with singing. And at Christmas time, I love that we sing. It's a picture of heaven when the people of God gather around and we sing about this Jesus that has been mighty to save. But you know what's amazing about this passage is that God doesn't just call us to sing, but that he sings. That we sing because we've received the love of God and God sings because he so desperately or so, he so radically loves us. Let me show you this. Zephaniah, last portion of it. He says, he will quiet you. I'll start again. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. City Light, if I were to ask you, before I read this verse to you, what is the posture of God towards you? How does he feel about you? What's the expression on his face when he locks eyes with you? What have you said? He's disappointed, he's distant, he's indifferent a little angry, a little frustrated I didn't do more in 2016? Or would you say that he is a loving father with joy in his eyes, affection in his heart, and he's singing over you because he is yours and you are his? That's the story that we see in Zephaniah 3.17. That God doesn't just tolerate you, church. He doesn't just deal with you. He doesn't let you in on some gospel loophole, but that he has been mighty to save that he has been mighty to send his son. And because of the Advent story where Jesus has taken on our sin, he smiles, delights, adores, and sings over you with warm affection. How amazing is that? That's awesome. 
The God who created you looks at you, and, and Ephesians 2 says that, that you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He looks at you like a painting that he's masterfully done and says, this is awesome. He looks at you like a, like a, a groom looks at his beautiful bride and says, man, I love, I'm wild about this. He looks at you like a loving father scooping up his child and says, I adore, I delight, I, I, I love deeply. And you know when you sing? You sing when words won't actually capture the emotions that you're feeling. You have to sing. It's a way to express our love in a way that words won't do justice. And so we put it to a melody and we sing with our hearts. That's what happens. That's why we sing. People all over the world sing for all over reasons, but God sings over you because he loves you. Isn't that incredible? Incredible. Listen, church, this Christmas, I don't want us to just be a people who sing Christmas songs because that's what we do at Christmas. I want us to be a people who sing because we realize how God has sung over us. I want us to be a people who sing because we realize that God's love has not come to take, but he's come to give. I want us to be a people who sing because we realize that when we were at our worst, Jesus gave us our best. City Light, this Christmas, let me close with this. This Christmas, I don't want us just to be a people who know intellectually about the love of God. I want us to be a people who are experiencing the love of God. And so I, I just realized anytime I preach to a room this big, there's people in this room who you know the verses and yet you cannot remember the last time you've actually felt and experienced the personal and powerful nature of God's love in your life. At one point, Jesus was your first love and he was near to you. And at some point, you pushed away, you distanced, you silenced. I don't know what happened. Maybe you believe in this moment that you're unlovable and that God's patience has run out on you. And I'm telling you, that's a lie. And I want you today to do business with God. I don't want you to walk out of here being entertained and learning a few points about love. I want you to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so as we sing today, as we respond to what God has done, would you do business with the Lord Jesus? And would you invite him to flood your heart with the kind of one-way love that only the gospel of Jesus Christ communicates to us? Also, I, just, I don't want us to be a church that just knows and experiences the love of God, but doesn't express it. And so church, one of the easy takeaways from this passage is if you've got kids, would you sit them down and tell them that you delight in them? Would you tell them that you love them? And would you tell them that God created them and loves them? Even loves their simple faith. Would you communicate that to them? That they would understand that you delight in them. And uh, I don't know um, what unlovable people are in your life or your family or your coworker space or your roommates or whoever those people are, but during this Advent season, may we be a church who actually moves towards those people who everyone else is trying to avoid. Would the Holy Spirit empower us to love in ways that doesn't make sense to the watching world? So let me pray right now for us. Jesus, I want to thank you that, first of all, we are people on the receiving end of your love. That, God, everything that we have that's of eternal significance, eternal significance has been given to us from you. You've given us our hope, and you've given us our peace, and you've given us this encounter with this one-way love that you've moved towards us when we were unable to move towards you. Jesus, thank you that you've made this love known to us. I pray that now, Jesus, we would get the incredible joy of displaying and demonstrating your love to the watching world. We're not waiting on the world to be lovable, but Jesus, we're asking you to empower us to love it as it is. The people in our life that are broken and needy and insecure, would we not work our way up the social ladder, but work our way down and move towards the very people who are desperate to experience the love of Jesus Christ? God, we want to shine as a light in this world. 
We want to radiate your love. And God, I pray that City Light Church would never just be known for where it gathers or what its building looks like, but we would be known as a people who radically love you, Jesus, that are loved by you, Jesus, and love our city, communities, families, and one another in radical, spirit-filled, God-honoring, sacrificial ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.